Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Channel 127. Welcome to Progress After Dark. We got a great show tonight. I'm so glad you're with us. The great Chris Houseelt produces this show out of South Carolina studios. Thea Harper and I are together in the New York Bureau. We are all alone here. It is very beautiful and very empty and deeply spooky. 267 floors above Gotham, high in the Howard Stern Tower, where it's, I swear to God, every Monday it's me and Thea and a little kid on a big wheel riding through the halls trying to avoid the two creepy twins who pop up. It is quiet here. I hope you guys had a great weekend. We're so glad to be with you. We have a great show coming up for you tonight. Um, our good friend, Professor Corey Brechneider, will be here very shortly to discuss this rather suspect new code of ethics the Supreme Court has offered themselves that is completely unenforceable. Also, Reverend Barry W. Lynn, the former executive director of Americans for uh, United for the Separation of Church and Hates here to talk about obscenity and pornography and censorship. Three things it's always fun to do with clergy. Comedian Rhonda Hanson will talk about how Tim Scott's presidential campaign is very, very done. But hey, at least he's got the hot blonde girlfriend to go home to, I guess. And I hope you had a good day. I hope you're keeping healthy. I hope you're taking care of yourself in the fall. We got a lot of ground to cover. Let's do a show. Welcome to New York, where our mayor would, he'd really like to borrow your cell phone for just a second. Is that cool? His isn't here. Yeah, it's crazy. Thank God the Democrats are giving us plenty to make fun of. But right now, friends, as we broadcast live, and hello to everybody listening live, our evil army of the night, we love when you call us. Uh, We love if you're not a regular caller, but call us anyway at 866-997-4748. And hello to our daywalkers, everyone who listens the following day on the app, on demand, on the John Fugelsang podcast, wherever you are at the time of this live broadcast and taping. We are four days from another U.S. government shutdown because the majority in the U.S. House of Representatives is not able to negotiate with themselves and their leadership is terrified to negotiate with anybody else because if the leadership negotiates with anybody else, the most extreme right-wing fascist clot of the caucus will fire them with just one vote. That is the system they've created. House Speaker Mike Johnson, Trump's overexposed little Johnson, says he has a plan to keep the government open, at least for now, but uh, most of Washington does not agree. And if they don't agree, by the end of the week, at 12.01 a.m. Saturday morning, The federal government will come to a halt. The next 24 hours of our life will give us a pretty good indication of whether Congress can keep the government running even temporarily or whether we will have another Republican-led government 
shut down. Because that's what they are, friends. In this century, it's extreme MAGA Republican government shutdowns. And if they do it again, service members, law enforcement are going to get to work without pay. Small businesses will not get the funding they need. And millions of you who are traveling may face significant delays. It's a good thing there's no major holidays coming up, huh? You know, more people are going to pass through airport security checkpoints around the country this year while traveling for Thanksgiving than any prior year, according to CSA estimations. I'm not saying more this year than the pandemic. They think more people are going to be traveling around the country for Thanksgiving this year than any other year since they've been keeping records. And if there's a government shutdown, it will force air traffic controllers and TSA employees to work without pay while a record number of travelers are filling up our airports around this country. TSA has said they may screen around 30 million passengers between November 17th and November 28th, and they think November 26th will most likely be the busiest travel day. AAA said that 49.1 million people in the U.S. will be getting behind the wheel to travel for the holiday. They say November 22nd, JFK's 60th anniversary, will be the busiest day for people on the roads, and the government maybe shut down because the Republican Party can't negotiate with themselves. Uh, AAA says, in total, a record 55.4 million people will be traveling for the holiday this year. And if our government shuts down, three and a half million federal workers will go without pay just before Thanksgiving. 50,000 airport security officers, 13,000 air traffic controllers will have to come to work anyway because their jobs are considered to be crucial to America's security. Now, the last government shutdown we had, remember that one? Remember that one? Because Donald Trump demanded the military pay for the stupid medieval racist fucking wall that he promised Mexico would pay for? Donald Trump was so determined to have you, the taxpayer, pay for his lie that our last shutdown was 35 days and the trash was piling up around Washington, D.C. and the federal workers started calling in sick. And they called in sick at airports, and there were very long lines for travelers nationwide. How secure is the GOP? How secure is Trump's little Johnson that they can blame all this on Joe Biden? National parks, federal museums, they could close during, you know, I mean, not like Thanksgiving's a busy time for national parks and federal federal contract jobs. They're going to go away. So lower income workers like janitors, security guards and food servers will be laid off by their private employers until the government reopens. Don't worry, Congress, they'll still get paid. Their staff won't, but they'll still get paid. And happy little speaker Mike Johnson has got a bunch of Republicans who are threatening to defect from him. So he will need Democratic support to avoid a government shutdown. It's that simple. He either shuts down the government to please the Matt Gateses, or he keeps the government open, infuriates the Matt Gateses, and risks losing his job the exact, and I do mean the exact same way Kevin McCarthy lost his. Mike Johnson has a continuing resolution he'd like to sell, and here's a clip, A4. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says uh, he's ready to buy. I've said on multiple occasions that if we're going to work together to keep the government open, Speaker Johnson will have to avoid pushing steep cuts or poison pills that Democrats can't support. For now, I am pleased that Speaker Johnson seems to be moving in our direction by advancing a CR that does not include the highly partisan cuts that Democrats have warned against. The Speaker's proposal is far from perfect, but the most important thing is that it refrains from making steep cuts 
while also extending funding for defense in the second tranche of bills in February, not the first in January. Today, the House Rules Committee will take up the Speaker's bill, and that will give us the first indication of how committed Republicans are to keeping the government open. At least we know it's impossible to shut down Chuck Schumer's charisma. Congress has until midnight on Friday to pass a bill to fund the government, or this country gets really interesting at a really interesting time. Now, dearly beloved, we are gathered here, brethren, to bid farewell to Marianne Trump Barry, a retired federal judge, former President Donald Trump's oldest sister. She has left us at age 86 at her home in New York City. Until her retirement in 2019, Judge Barry was a senior judge on the third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, a level below the U.S. Supreme Court. She enjoyed staying out of the spotlight. She retired in 2019 amidst an investigation into her family's sketchy tax practices, but she lived long enough to get recorded criticizing her brother, at one point delighting millions by saying he has no principles and is cruel. Yes, we all fondly remember when our friend Mary Trump asked her, what has Donald read? And Judge Barry replied, no, he doesn't read. It's the phoniness of it all. It's the phoniness and the cruelty. Donald is cruel. Yes, she'll be fondly remembered by all of us for her lovely words, his base. I mean, my God, if you were a religious person, you want to help people not do this. We'll all miss the judge's homespun wisdom, like when she described her brother, the president, saying, quote, he was a brat. I did his homework for him. I drove him around New York City to try to get him into college. He went to Fordham for one year, and then he got into University of Pennsylvania because he had somebody take his exams. Dearly beloved, we're all grieving the loss now, but let us remember the times that matter. Let us remember not the sadness we all share, but all the joy that was brought into our lives by Judge Barry. When she said things like, his goddamn tweet and lying, oh my God, I'm talking too freely, but you know, the change of stories, the lack of preparation, the lying. Holy shit. In lieu of flowers... Please remind your Trump-supporting loved ones that his own sister said, quote, Donald is out for Donald, period. All he wants to do is appeal to his base. He has no principles. None. None. Amen. All right. Um, now, last week, we learned some uh, pretty disturbing information about Donald Trump's authoritarian plans. The New York Times published a great story at the top of their homepage over this weekend. Sweeping raids, giant camps, and mass deportations inside Trump. 2025 immigration plans. I recommend reading it because, uh, boy, he's big on more of those tariffs and mass firings of civil servants and rounding up people in camps. Did I mention camps? Yeah. Rounding up the undocumented undesirables, detaining them in camps, deporting them by the millions, getting rid of due process, ending humanitarian waivers. A lot of plans. He wants to cancel the visas of any foreign students who protested the Israeli civilian government. He wants to restrict legal immigration. He wants to have the full Muslim ban. He wants to refuse asylum claims because he's going to lie that migrants carry infectious diseases. And of course, it's greatest hits night. He wants to end birthright citizenship for children born to undocumented parents. Yes, if you're born in this country, it doesn't matter. Not anymore. They're going to somehow find a way to get two-thirds of the Senate to change the Constitution, which they can't do. They're just doubling down to thinking that racists will like this, and that's how you get the job. So this weekend, he was back to talking a lot more like Hitler, because I don't know if you noticed in 2022 or last year, that goes over really well with the moderate independent voters. All that critical race theory shit, beating up trans children, go as racist as possible and scream a lot about abortion. People like when you do that. 
But later this weekend, later on Saturday, after Trump gave maybe the most terrifying speech he's ever given, this is the speech you heard about, where he vowed to root out the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of the country. I mean, he's praising actual dictators, right? He's praising Vladimir Putin still, praising Xi Jinping, Viktor Orban, Kim Jong-un, but talking about the radical left thugs that live like vermin. You know, Donald Trump's late ex-wife Ivana told her lawyer that Trump kept a copy of a book of Hitler's speeches by his bedside. Trump's former chief of staff, General Kelly, said that Trump told him, well, Hitler did a lot of good things. We know that Trump berated his military staff, saying, you fucking generals, why can't you be like the German generals in World War II? We know he's a Nazi fan. We know it from his chief of staff. We know it from his ex-wife. In case you missed it, here's Donald Trump rallied with a rhetorical shout-out to 20th century strongmen and vermin. We pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, that lie and steal and cheat on elections and will do anything possible. They'll do anything whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and to destroy the American dream. So the Times article said, Trump takes Veterans Day speech in a very different direction. How innocent. What did he do? Did he tell a riddle? I mean, yes, a very different direction to dictatorship. Like Forbes had the headline, Trump compares political foes to vermin on Veterans Day, echoing Nazi propaganda. But the New York Times just said Trump takes Veterans Day speech in a very different direction. Everybody flipped out. Later in the day, they changed the headline to, in Veterans Day speech, Trump promises to root out the left. (laughs) But I mean, he said vermin, friends. Hitler and the Nazis used that term in Germany all the time to describe Jews. Hitler famously told the foreign minister of Czechoslovakia, The vermin must be destroyed. The Jews are our sworn enemies. At the end of this year, there will not be a Jew left in Germany. He said that undocumented immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country. Does that sound familiar? Poisoning the blood of our country? Um, Donald Trump was gave. He said that in a speech, uh, an interview rather, with National Pulse, which is another right wing website. Poisoning the blood of our country, like Jews will not replace us again. This is this is. This is Hitler. He told the Germans in Mein Kampf to care for the purity of their own blood by getting rid of you-know-who. And then he said, it's so bad and people are coming in with disease. People are coming in with every possible thing that you could have. Where have you heard that before? How about Donald Trump's racist jokes that hurt so many Asian Americans during the COVID-19 pandemic when he said the China virus and the Kung flu? Those words directly led to violent assaults on Asian Americans by Trump fans in the streets. Trump said at one point, he said, uh, one people, one family, one glorious nation. Hitler used to say one people, one realm, one leader. Trump posted the same bullshit on Truth Social. Like, it wasn't just off the top of his head. This was very deliberate. This was written. And this is what fascism does, folks. We talk about it all the time. You have to dehumanize the political opposition. Donald Trump did it in his first term by calling undocumented immigrants an infestation or vermin. You have to do that for fascists. You have to treat them as less than human. Because if they're less than human, they won't have the rights that humans have. If they're less than human, people won't mind when you do inhuman things to them. That's why they call the Christian refugees at our border illegals. 
just a few steps, marginalize them, oppress them, and then, of course, do away with them. I mean, communists, Marxists, and fascists, oh my. It's all authoritarian projection with this guy. Trump confirmed last week that he would weaponize the federal government against his enemies if he was elected. And the New York Times has done a lot of reporting on his plans to just cut out the guts of the DOJ's independence, carry out raids to round up millions of undocumented immigrants who'd be detained in these camps while they awaited to be put on trains to sent away wherever. Would he actually do any of it, or is he just saying to get elected? Well, which one's scarier for you? Spokesperson for Trump's campaign called critics of uh, using the word vermin to refer to political opponents as snowflakes whose entire existence will be crushed when Trump wins the presidency in 2020. This is a Veterans Day speech, screaming about radical left thugs trying to destroy America. It's, he's, he's literally talking like Mussolini now. But Stephen Chung, his spokesperson, said people are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. Their entire existence will be crushed when he returns to the White House. The Biden administration was all over this. The campaign issued statements today blasting the vermin speech, comparing it to Hitler and Mussolini. And a lot of Republican officials are going to have a really good time defending this, like they have to defend all of his lies and violent rhetoric. And now let's hope the Biden campaign makes them stop being silent and comment on this. They asked Ronna McDaniel if she was comfortable with this kind of language, and she said, I'm not going to comment on candidates and their campaign messaging. Well, that's why I'm comfortable with Ronna McDaniel. Please, folks, you lost big in 2018 with her. You lost big in 2020. You lost big in 2022 and 2023. Keep that lady in charge. Folks, the only reason you should ever compare Trump to Hitler is that somewhere deep in hell, it makes Hitler really mad. And that means he'll take it out on Trump when he sees him himself. Like Hitler, Donald Trump pretended he was Christian for votes. Hitler banned unions, hated them, hated collective bargaining, hated worker strikes. Hitler really hated abortions. Hitler's regime persecuted communists and socialists and gays. Hitler hated immigration. Hitler was anti-gun control for most of Germany. Very big on nationalism. Very big on militarism. I mean, Trump isn't really that much like Hitler, but I do wish Adolf had spent all of his time golfing, watching TV alienating his allies, and consuming massive amounts of trans fats. We want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. Before the break, quick, Marie in Atlanta. Thank you for waiting on hold, Counselor. You're on progress. Thanks for taking my call, John. I'll make it quick. Thank you. Um, I took a look at the um, Code of Conduct for Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. This thing is worthless. It's worthless. Um, Everything that it purports to impose as an obligation is should. You should do this. A justice should do yep. that. A justice should not. Should is a very permissive term. Mm-hmm. But the things that stood out to me particularly, please, um, where it says a justice should not retaliate against those who report misconduct, small problem. It never in this document details to whom and where exactly. a complaint exactly. of misconduct could be reported. And then on top of that, it says that um, a justice should not participate in extrajudicial activities that detract from the dignity of the justice's office. And it goes on from there. Anytime you have something that is subjective, you know who that's going to get wielded against. If there is ever any enforcement at all. Yeah. It's not going to go against Alito. Nope. Roberts. None of those. None whatsoever. Um, they're all laughing at this. I, I swear to God, I could hear Alito chuckling as I read this thing because there's no enforcement mechanism whatsoever. 
Exactly. And then with respect to the requirements regarding um, compensation reimbursement and financial reporting, this is what's hysterical. Please. It says expense reimbursement should be limited to the actual or reasonable amount of estimated costs of food, travel, and lodging reasonably incurred. And it says, for some time, all justices have agreed to comply with the statute governing financial disclosure, and the undersigned members of the court each individually reaffirm that commitment. <laughs> what kind of crap is that? We've Means all been nothing. complying. No, you haven't. Means nothing. <laughs> and when someone refuses to comply and wags their little junk at this document, as they already have, what do we do? Nothing. Because they get to do it. The entire thing is just... Exactly. It's like letting the oil companies be responsible for their own cleanup. It's a joke. And they know it and they're laughing. Yep. So just thought I'd point that out. Thank you, Marie. Your upcoming guest. You are the best. We'll have Corey Brettschneider weigh in on this and a few other items. We are at 866-997-4748. We'll be right back. This is Progress. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. Now, as you've already heard for the first time in their 234-year history, the U.S. Supreme Court announced today they're adopting a code of conduct which is a response to the many, many, many recent controversies involving private jet travel and overwhelmingly luxurious posh vacations and gift that certain right-wing justices have taken that has undermined public faith in the nation's highest court. Does it mean anything at all? Well, let's go to one of the smartest players in the game. Corey Brettschneider, of course, is a heroic figure in the poli-sci department at Brown, where he teaches wisdom and truth and justice to America's future leaders. You may have read his analysis of the Trump administration and Politico, the New York Times and Time magazine. You got to buy his book, The Oath in the Office, a guide to the Constitution for future presidents at your favorite bookstore. It is a textbook that has a home on my desk at all times. Also, check out his Penguin Liberty series books on free speech in impeachment and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's most notable cases. Professor Brett Schneider, welcome back. Happy Code of Conduct Day. 
Hello. I heard Code of Conduct Day, and I just, you know, got so excited. Uh, <laughs> what a wonderful holiday to celebrate. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, I, I hear Code thing. of Conduct, and I think I think of uh, you and Clarence Thomas. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Corey, I, I don't know anyone out there who's saying, wow, this is really moving, and this will make a big difference. No. No. I mean, I've, there was some muted commentary today saying that it's at least a sign. And I kind of like this point that the justices are aware that something is amiss. I mean, because for a while they were really dismissive. It was as if they were saying, well, we're the Supreme Court. Nobody but how, how is this not more dismissive? To, to me, this is this is yeah. in, in no way a strict yeah, professional that, ethics code. This is just them saying, yes, we know yeah. there's a problem, and here's how much we don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the best interpretation, the people who think it's a step forward, I, I think are wrong. The way I guess I see it is like, okay, the pressure is working. They're aware that something's out there, uh, but it's not a success at all. And in fact, my worry is it could be a step backwards because it's not enforceable, as I saw you said on Twitter. And worse than that, it looks like they, you know, might they're going to be complacent about it. Oh, we took care of business. We did the code. Really, all they've done is systematize things that they've said before that they're supposed to be bound to. But yeah. of course, without a enforcement mechanism it's a problem and it's worse than that i was looking and it seems like what they've said is that when it comes to the one of the most important questions which is recusal whether or not if there's a conflict of interest you step down that they're trying to claim some institutional difference from lower courts which is that uh you know in a lower court you just have a for instance on a panel of three or a placement of the judge and here of course, you have nine justices, and and if you don't replace them, you have you have eight. Right. But my response to that is, so what? You know, it's better to have a court that's not made up of nine members. There's nothing about nine that's a magic number. Yeah. Uh, that's got integrity than to have a taint of one of the justices, possibly a swing vote, voting, you know, in his or her raw economic interest, paying back a you know, say a wonderful gift to, to Europe or yeah. on a plane, <laughs> hypothetically. And, uh, you know, so that, that, that's one of the places where the step backwards conclusion is, is beckoning. I mean, it's, it's just a, the do- whole document seems like it's just a gesture. And I, I think the gesture yeah. is a, a middle finger uh, directed <laughs> straight towards uh, history. I mean, isn't this yeah. like having, you know, a, a really advanced set of swimming rules for a pool that has no lifeguards? That's that's what I keep wrestling <laughs> yeah. with all day. There there are no lifeguards, yeah. and here are the rules for swimming. Yeah, I think too. It it really rubs in. You know what I was saying about the the way they were thinking about this before was, well, the rules don't apply to us. We're the Supreme Court, and in a way, if you think about it, this does the same thing because it says here are yeah. the rules we should have to obey by force that any normal court would obey, but we're not going to make that enforceable. And that really does reinforce the message of being above the law. I mean, the one theme in American democracy right now that threatens us is the idea of a president above the law. We know what well, we saw that already with the previous president. We might see it again, unfortunately, if he wins. And now the court is sort of assuming that sort of royalism. That yeah. They really are different than anyone else. And uh, you know, the, the the fact that the only embarrassment that's come out of this is a uh, voluntary <laughs> code of that's it. systematized set of rules that they claim to have followed already, it doesn't really, it doesn't help us. Uh, you know, I got to believe there's some pressure on the court because the justices are reluctant to criticize uh, each other, but you have a weird coalition of 
people like Kagan, who, of course, are on the progressive wing, and people like uh, Barrett, who, of course, are on the conservative wing, both saying we need ethics rules. And they've been speaking out. I hope this isn't the compromise that they've agreed to and that they'll just continue to push forward. And I guess, you know, now that, that we're starting to really digest this, it's what's the role of all of us? I think the American public has to, rather than relent on the pressure, if this has worked in getting their attention, we need to double it. And um, yes, I think hopefully that'll lead to something more serious. I mean, last week, the Senate Judiciary Committee had been scheduled to vote on giving subpoenas to Harlan Crow and Leonard Leo, mm. two guys who mm-hmm. buy and hire Supreme Court justices. Mm. That vote got postponed to the last minute. But these justices have all said, let's just have, you know, our own code. Even Alito said he didn't know if Congress would ever have the legal authority to impose a code on a separate branch of government. We look to Congress to be the watchdog, to be the oversight for the judicial branch, for the, for the executive branch. But they're really talking about just having an honor system, which is what we've had. And it clearly hasn't worked. Corey, why would Clarence Thomas ever obey a code of conduct with no enforcement mechanism when he is not even doing the basic minimum of disclosure requirements? Yeah, I think he's proven himself to be exactly the kind of corrupt justice that we're worried about. And the idea that he, you know, I, I think, again, again, the step backwards is that he'll use this veneer of ethics rules to try to claim that he's somehow, you, you know, vindicated because yeah. he, he'll claim to be in compliance. And then, of course, I think he won't do it. Look, you know, we have to talk about more serious ways of holding the justices to account. One would be uh, Congress passing a set of mandated ethics rules. But it, we're way beyond that when it comes to some of the justices. Clarence Thomas ha- is the poster child for impeachment. There is yeah. a significant check on the judiciary, and that's impeachment. And I believe that the pressure on him internally from the court to retire, if it even got past the House, uh, you know, which is unlikely to happen with this House, but at least uh, it could be there can be a, a motion towards it by the Democrats in the House. That might be enough to um, create the kind of pressure internally that this aging justice, after all, might feel the pressure to, to step down. Uh, maybe that's a wishful thinking. But my point is, we haven't been aggressive enough. This isn't, you know, some minor matter. It's a justice on the take. He's yeah. likely making decisions based on the fact that he's on the take. But there could and, never uh, be. But how could we've there? Got to do something. But but what could we do? I mean, what could Congress do? The Senate would need to have two thirds to impeach him, right? Yeah, like that's just go never going to happen. There was a case, uh, Abe uh, Fortas, uh, during the Warren Court that, that I guess I have in mind. And what happened there was that there wasn't an impeachment vote in the House. There was just a, a bills of impeachment were introduced and there was momentum towards it. And the basic history is that Earl Warren felt the pressure so much that he went to Fortis. And we don't know the details of how he convinced them, but he did convince them to step down. And the other members of the court put pressure on him. Uh, you know, that was so much less than what Thomas has been shown to have done. Yep. And there were accusations that were unproven. And I think, wow, if that's a precedent that a justice who is even suspected of corruption, who's been subject to bills of impeachment, is forced to step down, let's at least try it with Thomas. And, you know, here's the other point. It it isn't just about getting the two thirds in the Senate or even the majority 
in the House, which, of course, might not be possible. And, and, and there's a good chance it's not. Yeah, it's a very good chance uh, it's not. Yeah, but but <laughs> it's more pressure. And if they're already feeling it and this stupid ethics uh, rule, set of rules that have been passed are, are evidence that they're feeling it, well, then let's make them feel it even more. I get it. I just... I don't see anything happening that would make Clarence Thomas leave office before um, a, a Republican was back in the White House. I, I mean, yeah. I keep waiting to think what it could be. But uh, honestly, Corey, it just seems like blackmail. That's about all yeah. I can think of that would actually do it. Some kind of coercion. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, how much more is out there? The ProPublica pieces have revealed so much. But another thing that impeachment does is it starts to train all the press on Thomas and not just a nonprofit that has an amazing track record, but mm-hmm. limited budget, but it becomes a national story. The Washington Post, the New York Times, all of us are obligated to start to look into his wrongdoing. And I think that's another another reason why I think this is so important that it would put the microscope to him. And, you know, let's let's just be frank here. What we know about is appalling. What don't we know about? And I think yeah. that's what would come out. In well, I, I hope we find out a lot more because this to me is just insult to injury. I'm, I'm sorry to be so cynical about this, but like <laughs> yeah. Chief Justice Roberts has directed the court employees can assist the judges in complying with the new rules by drawing up a list of best practices. Corey, they're wagging their dicks at history. <laughs> I mean, it's just they're laughing at at. at yeah. At, at the very concept of ethics. And you reminded me of something I'd forgotten about. About two years ago, let's recall, Joe Biden had the Supreme Court Commission, which yep. voted to have a report to talk about how you reform it, but they didn't take any position on how to reform the most controversial ideas. Did anything ever come of this 2021 big glorified government report to figure out how to make the Supreme Court less corrupt? You know, I was looking back to it thinking like, wow, was there anything in there that maybe would be more powerful than these Silly ethics, not even rule. I don't even know what we should call them. Ethics recommendations, yeah, suggestions <laughs> that, that have been issued. And you know, the, the, that commission, I think, was really a mixed group. Biden made the mistake, in my opinion, of putting a lot of conservatives on there, and I see why he did it because he wanted to look legitimate and nonpartisan. But the result was that they couldn't really agree on anything. And there was a lot in there that we should be thinking about seriously, given given this moment. And one is adding justices. Yeah. You know, Preach. we would have a problem with confirmation, possibly. But, you know, maybe not. And certainly the, the president has the ability to do this, to nominate justices. Um, he does. There's some question about whether you would need new legislation to add to the court. Um, but I'm not sure about that. It might be that the president could just simply... Uh, add on. That's a radical decision. But, you know, my theme tonight is pressure, pressure, pressure. uh, You know, even if we're gesturing at it. And let me just give you an example here. uh, And this is, of course, a famous example. Maybe not everyone knows it. Franklin Roosevelt was facing a court. This is what I talk about. Yes. Yeah. That was striking down the New Deal. And he threatened to add justices. And all of a sudden, they radically the switch in time that saved nine is the way it's described. The, the, the justices radically changed their way of behaving. And yeah. that's what we need here, too. So I like the radicalism of some of what was dismissed in that report or discussed in very academic ways. And, and that's starting to talk about about adding justices. I'm so glad you that. brought this up, Corey, because you're right about FDR. There were three justices on the Supreme Court that were trying to dismantle the New Deal. All FDR did was threaten 
to appoint more. And his own party was against it. It's considered one of his greatest failures, but he never actually tried. He never nominated anyone. He never really tried to put anyone there. He just said, I'm going to do this. Right. And that was enough to worked. make them back down. Yes. <laughs> and the New Deal was saved. And it's like, I just right. want to see Joe Biden right. bring the fight to right. them for once. I love it. Wow. We're in heated, heated agreement t- tonight. And that's exactly how I'd put it, that we need just a number of different serious reforms, not this BS nonsense that's coming from them that are on the table. And if they're feeling the pressure now, you know, these are ways of really making them feel it. So impeachment, court packing, uh, the press really focusing on the corruption of Clarence Thomas. Uh, It's such an inside game, the Supreme Court. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time teaching in law schools and, you know, it's fun and the colleagues are great and people have integrity. But there's really too little um, criticism of the institution. I mean, if uh, people in political science like were reverential towards Congress and never criticized Congress, that, that wouldn't be serious scholarship. I think legal scholars, too, have to jump on this to, to really call out the uh, wrongness that we're seeing from the Supreme Court. And, and that stems from the reversal of fundamental rights like abortion to the corruption yeah. that we're seeing now. By the way, speaking of great legal minds, can we talk about Donald Trump's kids? Because uh, his <laughs> oldest son, Shemp, was back in court again today, and it's uh, been a pretty busy week. Apparently, they've got Ronald Reagan disease, and none of them can remember anything they ever did. They only know how great they were. Yeah, I mean, we talked last week about Trump's own testimony and how much he was uh, giving, you know, giving ammunition to the other side. The, the kids are trying to do their best. I saw one thing about uh, reported that Don Jr. mentioned something about how his dad is a real estate artist and left out, of course, the con. But, uh, you know, that that would be the thing to remember that he he basically admitted his dad is a great con artist and that's what he admires. Yeah. And, and what is Don Jr.? He's really a lesser con artist. Oh, yeah. Think about it. I mean, he's a con artist henchman is what he is, who's never yeah. had a job that didn't involve his dad. He actually said that if they hold his father accountable for fraud, it would make it impossible for others to do business in New York. Yeah. He said, I would think this would set a precedent to make it impossible for anyone to actually do business in or around New York City. Again, mm-hmm. if you go after my dad for his crimes, it'll hurt the overall economy. These people are getting scared, Corey. Yeah. I mean, when I think about him and look at him and I think about Kendall Roy, you know, Kendall Roy looks like a a true statesman compared to this guy. Mm -hmm. He is just such a example of the the worst of all of us and and nothing in succession could really bring out just how craven this family is. And (laughs) let's not forget, you know, this they, they could win and they could be back. And who knows? I mean, Ivanka doesn't look like she's going to want much of a role in the White House this time. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll give Don Jr. some fundamental portfolio running around uh, that White House. It's, you know, the the worry of what's about to happen if he wins. I, I, I am shaken by it. Yeah, I'm a lot less worried, Corey. Let's keep in mind you this case. No chance. This case, he's already guilty. And they're just discussing how much of his empire is going to go away. He's already yeah. guilty in the Eugene Carroll case. And that's got the four big cases on, on top of that, plus the pyramid scheme trial happening in January. Believe me, this guy's going to be hemorrhaging money a year from now. I don't worry about these mm-hmm. polls at all. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't worry because no one's voting for joe biden no one's voting for mm-hmm. biden they're voting against this fascist creep and his whole <laughs> army of the night but do you feel he's going to get the nomination 
Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. He, and, and I think that he will worry. be, I think yeah. he will be a convicted felon. He'll be a convicted yeah. felon by the convention. Yeah. So it's going to be a very right. interesting year. Right. I mean, maybe they can stop him in the convention, given that, that there'll be some way of manipulating the party rules. You know, this is, they used to talk about when I was a student that the Republican Party was an organizational party, which meant that it wasn't really democratic. It was authoritarian and in the sort of a top-down way. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe somebody can figure out how to recapture that organizational authoritarian structure and get rid of this wannabe fascist. Listen, I mean, I think the Republican establishment will try to do it, but I've, I've been saying for months, my big fear was that they were going to anoint Glenn Youngkin to be the nominee. Not anymore after last week, Corey. I think Donald Trump yeah. is uh, going to be the great orange hope, and he's as strong as it gets, because it's not going to be DeSantis, it's not yeah. going to be Youngkin, not going to be well, Nikki Haley. I mean, I guess, and, you know, we'll continue to talk about this. Of course, you're talking about it every night. But if he gets that nomination, which he likely will, I do believe he can be defeated. But oh, the yeah. risk is so high for American democracy, the thought of him winning. And he's not going to lose by accident. He's going to lose because there are, you know, people constantly pushing Americans to see the danger. Yeah. One worry, and I hate to to worry listeners, but I will say something about just what I'm seeing as a professor. Of course, it's anecdotal. They don't really remember uh, how bad it was because many of them were in high school. Correct. Students that I'm teaching undergraduates at Brown, for instance. And, you know, they want to hear about it. They listen. I talk a lot about it, but they find themselves, you know, hearing it for the first time. And of course, they're shocked. But we need to make sure that this next generation of voters who really didn't experience what we experienced Amen. knows how, know how bad he is, how bad it was. Professor Brett Schneider, it's always a pleasure to have you here to remind us how bad he was. What's the best way yeah. for our listeners to follow you in your work? Uh, com, And one day I'll return to the Twitter. Uh, at Brett we miss you over there among the ruins. <laughs> we miss you a lot, Corey. Thank you so, so much for classing up our show. we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a moment with your calls. This is Progress. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-GRIT. So Barry Lynn, you know if you listen to this show, he's an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. He was executive director for Americans United for the Separation of Church and State until his retirement in 2017. Barry's a legend. He's debated everyone. Louis Black first introduced me to Barry back in the day. He was on PBS NewsHour, Today's Show, 60 Minutes, even the O'Reilly Factor. And this week, the Woodhull Freedom Foundation presents The Thin Line Between Obscenity and Censorship. This is 
is going to be a terrific event coming up later this week that'll deal with obscenity and the prairie interest and pornography. Three things I always think of when I think of Reverend Barry Lynn. Barry, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I, um, you know, I always say on this and other shows, I understand the difference between morality as I see it and legality as the government sees it. Yes. There has not been a successful obscenity prosecution involving consenting adults for the last decade. And we talk a little bit about this uh, on the show that you just promoted, which mm-hmm. will be open for viewing on Thursday at noon. And my co-star of it, uh, who's an expert really on pornography in the media and in computer worlds, um, there just haven't been any prosecutions. I'm one of those people who thinks if you're going to not bother to enforce a law for decades, maybe you should think about just repealing the law. Right. And, And obscenity law is that. They can't get convictions. They discovered after the Ed Meese Pornography Commission, which comes up a lot on, on the show on Thursday, uh, U.S. attorneys all over the country said, this. we hope this will generate an enormously positive environment for us to bring more obscenity cases. Then they discovered a couple things. It was very hard to find juries that uh, were open to prosecuting, particularly when they started to use the racketeering statute, which, of Mm -hmm. course, is now in play in the Donald Trump world. And somebody did a a lengthy explanation of one of the last uh, prosecutions and talked to jurors and said, well, why did you convict? And he he went to women jurors in particular. And uh, women said uh, things like, well, uh, you know, when you think about it, these people were just selling dildos to adults Mm -hmm. movies and books why would we seize their house for that and they never were told by the prosecutors nor did the judge allow information about how available the very same items were in other parts of virginia that were being prosecuted in a county right outside of Washington, D.C. And so the jurors felt like they had been denied information that would have been essential for them to reconsider and possibly to acquit. That's not a good thing. Then they decided, well, maybe what we should do is find somebody who has a place that's selling this stuff in California. Right. So they found a place. and But we won't prosecute in California because there's so many liberal people and they probably read dirty books. We're going to prosecute them in Western Pennsylvania. And there is a woman who I believe is still the U.S. attorney in Western Pennsylvania who decided that she was going to order a couple of items, have them sent to Western Pennsylvania, and then seek to have the trial there. And she did succeed in that. There was a very brief a very brief time when the defense counsel said to the judge, you know, it's not illegal to possess obscenity. So why is it illegal to obtain it? You have to get it from somewhere. If you don't live next to the dirty bookstore, you're going to have to order it through the mail. Yeah. And the judge actually bought that argument for a while. And then that 
was reversed on appeal as well. No member of Congress wants to say obscenity. Yeah, nobody cares about that. Let's repeal it. There are 14 statutes against obscenity in federal law. None of them have been ser taken seriously for well over a decade. So it joins other of my uh, pet peeves. Registration for the draft. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter brought it back. He made a lot of uh, statements about what was going to happen. Ronald Reagan, who initially opposed it, also said, you know, we I'm looking at the data. We, I think we're going to have to bring regist keep registration. 18 people since that happened were prosecuted, 17 of whom actually wrote to the Justice Department and said, here I am. I didn't register for the draft. Come after me. Mm. And they did. And the other guy was a Laotian immigrant who, who probably didn't even understand he had an obligation. Since that happened, John, literally millions of American men are now felons worthy to be prosecuted because millions of people simply either didn't register I went to the post office the other day. They don't even have the forms anymore that you have to sign up for. Really? So, yeah. So it's a forgotten thing. 18 people prosecuted, not that, and most of those people got very limited uh, sentences, if any prison time at all. So that's another thing. Why do we have these laws that can be used as a threat? when in fact we're not going to enforce them. Even the head yeah. of Selective Service at the time, uh, Bernard Rosker, who I debated like you know every 10 minutes, even he, about two years ago, testified that the whole registration thing was not working. So, Barry, I, this is fascinating <laughs> to me because you, you, as we've talked about on the show, you recently published your memoir, and it's in three yes. volumes, Peace, Porn and prayer, and I, I find you as a man of the cloth taking on the issue of obscenity fascinating. I understand why you have embraced this cause as a lawyer, but I yeah. want to ask you a bit about why, as a spiritual person, why, as a, a, a man of clergy, have you been so invested in fighting back against what our government calls obscenity or pornographic? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that I noticed, and it was confirmed during the time that I traveled around, I was working at the ACLU at the time with the Edmonds Pornography Commission, is it's not so much the pictures of people engaged in sex that ultra conservatives don't like. It's the fact that those people are doing things they don't like. Gay people. Yeah. They don't want they don't want gay people to exist. Sure. much less to have films of them that somebody else might find engaging. The other thing is, I, I think people to this day don't understand how serious it is when someone is accused of letting obscenity come into a library, into a public school, and they use this Moms for Liberty group that's mm -hmm. kind of all over the country, didn't do very well in the election, that um, they simply... They just don't understand how important this was. There are two Netflix movies uh, the, about one, one's called, uh, uh, I don't know. About obscenity? Okay. 
It's Pete, about obscenity. People but versus about, Larry Flynn. Let's go with that. Well, no, that's good, too. Larry, Larry was a very strange man. I did have a chance to do a couple of programs with him. Uh, but, you know, he I even had uh, I had dinner with Bob Guccione. All these okay. things are in this book. Uh, you know, Bob and Kathy Keaton, who was his wife and who died of cancer shortly after we all had dinner. But we went. To, he calls me one day. We were going to be on the. Uh, let's see. I think the Phil Donahue show the okay. next day. And he says, do you want to come to dinner? And I said, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not much of a party animal. And he says, well, I'm not a party animal either. I just like to, you know, come. You can meet my wife. And uh, we have a visitor from Europe. And uh, she's going to be there, too. And I thought, wow, a visitor from Europe. Okay. I wonder if it's a porn star. It wasn't. It was a 70-year-old woman who edited one of his other magazines that covered chemical and biological warfare. Ah. A very lovely woman. What was not so lovely about that dinner, he had these Egyptian guard dogs that roamed around the dinner table in his Upper West Side penthouse apartment and uh i'm not a big dog fan okay and uh but it wanted to eat everything so you know it's like should i take this this entity that i'm eating some kind of a fowl and give it to the dogs that would be wrong okay but to get back to, to to get back to the a lot of people find whatever their particular fetish is only recognizable in porn True. and it it does give them a sense of this is okay if i'm choosing this if i have a partner who's choosing this it's okay and there are other people doing it and i think we've come a long way and that's why it's so difficult to find juries willing to convict if you if if the entity before them is debbie does dallas part 76 a lot of them will go i think we just watched episode 75 right. on uh, streaming just last weekend. And they again, don't want to do that. And again, I want to also say, you're not out here saying that porn is good. You're not no. out here as a lawyer or a clergy person saying that porn uplifts women and that it's, you know, good for relationships and all that. Like, we acknowledge all the misogyny and terrible lighting and sure. bad acting and so much of porn. But it's about, it's about just having it. What I love is that you're out there as a lawyer arguing that we have to let this stuff exist and you're doing it as a clergy member, arguing we have to, because yep. the Bible's not really technically against this. This is not the sort of thing that Jesus prioritized his followers to get all worked up about. Yeah, he didn't mention it, and he didn't mention many other things, as you and I have pointed out many times. But um, I remember at the beginning of the Mies Commission, I, I had talked to the Los Angeles Times about doing an op-ed, and they said, well, write it, but you know— probably just stale old stuff it wasn't it was it was headlined something like pornography colon not all bad it was very controversial but it was very interesting because it said let us not forget the people who find this stuff somehow empowering if you're a gay person and you don't have a boyfriend or in the case of a lesbian a girlfriend maybe you do want to experience some kind of sexuality by looking at it on a videotape which were of course very big back then of course but it's a um 
it's very hard for political figures to say, you know, the time has passed. The Edmies Commission never took seriously any of the feminist arguments against pornography, the kinds of things you were just alluding to. And uh, because they didn't understand it, people like Catherine McKinnon is a very well-known law professor, but she sometimes was a little hard to kind of follow her reasoning. And when she passed one of these resolutions, it basically said all pornography is a violation of the civil rights of women. Quite extreme, but it went to court when the Indianapolis City Council passed a resolution that made pornography a civil rights violation against women. The trial went well for them. It was reversed on appeal. Part of the interesting decision to to appeal it was because one of the things that the feminists against pornography in Indianapolis had argued was it is of low value speech. Right. But then they also said it has an enormous impact on the society. It has an impact on how we think, how we vote. And the court said, you can't have it both ways. If it's not important, it can't be this earth-shaking of political statement. And it does make political statements. There's no question about it. It's just that most people, including myself, we're not really fans of the political argument that it makes. One of the things about this Woodhull thing on Thursday... Victoria Woodhull was unknown to me. She was a very radical feminist born in the uh, right after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. She was um, she believed she was the first woman who opened an investment banking okay. service, the first woman who started a newspaper, the first woman to testify in Congress to give the right to vote to women. But when she was finished and when you look at her whole life history, Here was a woman who also said people need sexual freedom. They need to be able to do the things that consensually they want to do and a partner wants to do. Yes, that's what I keep saying to my partner. Yes. Do you? Yeah. Well, you should. Well, you can try and, you know. Well, have her call Not and I'll tell her to do the same thing. Well, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I'm very excited for this event. So this is the Woodhall yeah. Freedom Foundation. This is this right. Thursday, the 16th. It's at uh, 12 noon Eastern time. And it's Correct. the thin line between obscenity and censorship, a conversation about the true definition of obscenity and how to recognize when it's being used not to contain something obscene, but to restrict free speech rights. Reverend Barry, you're, you're the man Ooh. to do it. I try. I mean, it's very important. You start censoring one thing. You know, when I was out at the Kurt Vonnegut uh, Library for their fundraiser a couple months ago, a month ago, mentioned that there's, I used to do a, a an event for them most summers called uh, Everybody Doesn't Like Something, Let's Just Ban Everything. <laughs> and And that goes for commercial speech. It goes for political speech. It goes for sexual oriented speech. I'm a believer in the seamless web of the First Amendment. If you can't defend the rights of somebody with whom you fundamentally disagree... Uh, you're not really a First Amendment right advocate. On. Yeah. Reverend Barry, this is great. It's November 16th, 12 noon Eastern time, the thin line between obscenity and censorship. Barry, where do our listeners go to catch up with the event? Best way is to go to org, and then 
at the top it says censorship series that's what you want to go to then you can find a way to watch it on facebook Brilliant. or youtube and uh it's a lot of fun and and the, and the fellow that I, I i do it with is a person he's considerably younger than i but he also takes a deep interest in all of the efforts to regulate the internet in part mm. Because, as everyone knows, it's always about the children or national defense. That's right. Just like we're trying to ban TikTok, and that we want to ban because, oh, children get the wrong idea of body image, yeah. and, oh, the Chinese probably are spying on us. So it combines well, the children with national security, a twofer, <laughs> and it shouldn't be used to ban anything. Reverend Barry Group. Thank you so much for joining us. By the way, what's the best Thank way you. for our listeners to follow you, sir, in your work? I think I think the best way is uh, www.barrywlin.com, and uh, that's my website. And uh, it's more or less up to date, and it, it's got some interesting interviews about the book right on to piss people off reverend barry i'm always happy anytime we can get you on our show thank, <laughs> thank you so much you. for joining us good luck with the event thank you thank, thank you. you very much quick break we'll be right back this is progress brain fog insomnia moodiness achy joints weight gain maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older or that's what your doctor tells you but midi health understands that for women over 40 they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. Steve in Illinois, you're on Sirius XM. John, good evening. How Hello. are you doing? I'm great. I'm better now. How are you? Very good, John. You know, I was listening to your show. Well, it wasn't on on Friday. And I, I thought uh, you were going to maybe, I was going to try to call you and do a shout out because I'm a retired veteran. I just Thank you. Shout out to my brothers and sisters out there. Thank you. Uh, say a happy Veterans Day to all of them. Uh, from Stephen, Illinois. We uh, had a new show a, on. We had a new show on Steve, but it was all new. It was all new interviews. We just we it wasn't live. But please tell us, Steve, where did you serve? Uh, all over the world. You know, pretty much. I was a West Coast sailor and uh, did a little time in Japan, Spain, Portugal. Right on. Uh, so uh, at twenty four years, had a, had a good career. Retired in two thousand. You know, I'm being it was just Veterans Day. You know, I had a chance in the last week or two to just talk to veterans in general because uh -huh. I'm still working. You know, I work a second job now. Yeah. Uh, because you know, I don't, you know, we don't make that much on retirement. So I, uh, I, I'm talking to veterans, and basically, uh, as far as most of them are, will vote, but they're not happy. They're not happy with the Republicans. 
Certainly not, because eventually, I, you know, when I say to them, you know, with these uh, programs that the Republicans have, uh, you know, they're going to work on, you know, dismantling Medicare, Medicaid. Yeah. And once they get down with that, then they're going to they're going to come for our veterans benefits. But the key thing here is uh, they're not happy uh, with and I want to get this out to you. They're, they're not happy with the Democratic Party. I mean, this thing back in the early summer, I remember listening to it, this discussion about the burn pits yeah. and how a lot of Republicans uh, did not vote for that bill that uh, the Democrats and Joe Biden mm-hmm. uh, proposed. Okay. What my, my personal thing is, why did not Joe Biden get out there and just basically lambast these Republicans? I wish he had. Who, did he? No, not that I know of. I mean, he went out and he, God knows he fought for it. This is the, the PACT Act, and he fought for it, and he, he certainly has crowed about it. I mean, and by the way, more than almost 5 million veterans got free screenings for toxic exposures because of this. Over 478,000 veterans and families are getting benefits. $1.85 billion in earned benefits delivered to vets and their survivors, all since the PACT Act was signed into law. And again, you'd only know about this if you listen to pro Joe Biden propaganda because God knows the TV news isn't going to talk about it. Yeah, I hear you. So it's like you know, you know, once once they voted it down that first round, he should have been on the bullhorn, the bully pulpit, and basically say, "Look, this is what these guys are doing. Yeah, is this is this the kind of government you want? You know, I mean, fortunately, the PAC deck doesn't affect me because I was. I had a nice job in the Navy, so I didn't. I was a weatherman, so I didn't really get affected by any of this stuff. Right. You know, I was basically a non-combat veteran for 24 years. But a lot of these other guys that are in, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever they're at, you know, burn pits, asbestos, whatever. You know, they they inhaled, ingested whatever, and it was like it really ticked me off that for for a Democrat not to say anything. So. This is what I'm getting at. They said they're not happy with the Republicans, but they certainly are not happy with with Joe Biden and how he presents his package. That's pretty much. <laughs> well, then you know what? Then then call. then tell them they can vote for the guy who stole from veterans with a fraudulent online university, who lied about donating a million dollars to vets nonprofits. Donald Trump said he'd make our troops commit war crimes. He pardoned a guy who committed war crimes. He keeps lying that he signed the Vets Choice act into law. He's insulted Gold Star families. He got fined for misusing funds from a fundraiser for vets in 2016. Um, he, he he falsely accused our service members of stealing funds for Iraqi reconstruction. I can do this all day. He insulted General Allen, General Mattis, General pa- Kelly, Colin Powell, Stanley McChrystal, uh, Purple Heart recipients, Mueller and Vindman. Um, he sided with Putin against all branches of military intelligence. I could tell you all day how Donald well, I'm Trump... I'm glad you mentioned this stuff. Now that I, what, if I get a chance to talk to these guys again, I'll run that by him. I know? mean, just that, just tell your friends his budget tried to cut Medicaid. Do you have any understanding how much that would hurt military families and veterans? I mean, well, I know he also said he made this derogatory comment when he was out at Arlington National Cemetery yeah. in 2019 and said that the people that were laying here were fools and suckers. He and sure it just, did. Like, it literally yeah. pisses me off. And he entirely. insulted troops with PTSD and he made our National Guard t 
tear gas U.S. protesters so he could hold a Bible upside down. I mean, he made the West Point cadets come back to graduation when COVID was dangerous. Like, he, he said that military sexual assaults were to be expected because we let women serve. He has shit all over the armed forces so many times and the media right wing folks consume will never tell them that. I mean, I could do I could literally sit here and spend the next half hour telling you all the lies he's done and the way he's just insulted our, our armed forces. But again, you know this, my friend, authoritarian leaning guys are going to vote for authoritarian leaning guys. They're going to yeah, hate Joe Biden no matter it. what. I hear you. I hear you. So, again, a shout out to uh, all my veteran brothers and thank sisters you, sir. out there. And thanks for taking my call. Thank okay. you for making it, Stephen. God bless you and thank you for your service. I really do appreciate you and I thank you for calling. This is SiriusXM. XM.